You're all the winning side this morning. Would you say amen? amen? I'm thankful to the Lord that we've survived the great pandemic of 2020. And you all made it. If you don't have one of these and you want to invite somebody to church, grab one on the way out. That's the track announcement. Um, don't forget, if you didn't get one of these, to grab one as well. These are free. And uh, if you would like to have your daily devotions as a parent, as an adult, these are for adults only. Um, I want to encourage you to take one of these and read it this year in your home. It's 366, just in case it's a leap year. And uh, this devotional book will work no matter what year it is. And that's the great thing about it. We did one revival uh, today. We did that a few years ago. And I want to encourage you to take this and read it this year. A couple of thoughts about it before we get into the message this morning. If you'll join me this morning in Colossians, it'll be Colossians in our Bible. Uh, Colossians in chapter 1. You can join there. In this, in this book, several great things and I want to encourage you to look through this book. Uh, if you're like me, occasionally I'll pick up a book and I will have great intentions, but I will forget. And sometimes two, three, four, five years goes by and you go, oh, I didn't actually read or try to do the thing that book said. And so it has effective verses the Christian can memorize, great uh, ideas, great thoughts about memorizing verses on the Bible, Jesus Christ, sin, Holy Spirit, uh, verses on how to be a witness. You might wonder, how can I share my faith? Uh, great verses that should be remembered by Christians. And look right here, if you lose sight of his greatness, you might feel like, you know what, this, this virus, all this uh, election, it's kind of taking control, kind of taking the news, hasn't it? And uh, you might need a little bit of a refresher of God's greatness right here. Verses on God's greatness. Um, so look through here. Take this. This is a tool. This is a resource. It's just something to put in your hands to be a help to you uh, in your walk with God. Then I want to encourage everybody to think about this right here. And this is in your book. And most of you got this a few weeks ago when we gave it out. There's a one-year Bible reading schedule. I just spoke with one of our men uh, yesterday who told me uh, in three years he's been in the faith. He's already read through the Bible five times. Five times. And I tell you, if you read through the Bible and you let God's Word in your heart, my friend... It'll do great things for you. And uh, as, as, a, as your pastor, in the three and a half years that I've been through here with you, I've read through the Bible personally seven times. And I encourage you to make it a goal to read through the Bible at least once a year. So there's a little guide here. It's a tool. You might like to read through the Bible on a different schedule. Doesn't matter which schedule you use. You might want to buy a one-year Bible, okay? Uh, whatever you'd like to do, I encourage you, get the Word in your life. It'll help you. It'll change you. Now, if you're overly zealous and you need a challenge and you've already been doing the one-year Bible, I encourage you to try the 90-day one. The 90-day one. It will, um, it will completely change your schedule. I encourage you to carve out about two hours a day for that. And uh, I did it one year. It was great. I did it four times that year. That's how I got to seven. Um, but um, if you uh, really want a challenge, go ahead and do that. This will be a great, a great book for you. I encourage you, if you don't have one, grab a copy. And then don't just let it uh, clutter up your bookshelf. Pull it out. Wear it out. I, I want it to be worn out. I'd love to visit your home in 2022 and for this book to be so worn out that you can't even recognize it. Wouldn't that be great? And uh, just wear it out, okay? Um, wear it out. Use it. It's a great resource, a great tool. If you wear it out and, and you wear it out from use, I will give you my new one. Um, if you really wear it out in one year, I don't think you can do that. But um, you might be able to without throwing it. Uh, all right, Colossians this morning in chapter 1. Colossians in chapter 1. 
enjoy being in church. And I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, we don't want to have a dead church. We want to have a church that's alive in the power of God. And this morning, let us look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible speaks of Jesus, and it says here, And he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, what is the next word? All things he might have the preeminence. That in all, that in all, he might have the preeminence. Jesus wants to be preeminent. That is, he wants to be number one in all things. Bible tells us in this passage, he is the head of the body, the church. Those of you who have run your own business, you know that you cannot have a good business unless you have a good leader running the business. And you have to, somebody has to be the one that calls the shots. Somebody has to be the one that says, this is where we're going. That's why often business partnerships don't work. Um, you have to have a leader. You have to have somebody who's in charge, somebody who is taking control of the situation and guiding. And Jesus is the head of the church. You say, are you the head of this church? No, Jesus is. And, and look, if I deviate from Jesus, then I answer to him for that. I'm responsible to teach the word of God, and you're responsible to study the word of God as well. And We're responsible to grow together and should there be a time in which I teach something that is contrary to the Word of God, you should be the first to come in and say, you know what, Pastor, I, I think right here, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you said, and I will be happy to hear you out. Um, the Word of God is the guide, not our tradition, the Word of God. He says he is the head of the body, Paul says to his church in Colossae. He's the head of the church. The Bible describes the church as being a body. A lot of people that are lost look at the church as a crutch. They look at religion as something that, you know what, well, that's for emotional stability. And for some people it is. But for the Christian, it should be that we are part of the body, that we are, are part of the body of Christ. You say, what does that mean? That God will send somebody in the church to be an encouragement to you. You will be an encouragement to somebody else. Together we will reach more people for Christ. It's not about just filling the building, my friend. It's about reaching people because we have an eternal soul that will spend somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. And I encourage you this morning along this subject, in this passage, getting settled in the local church. When we finish out the year 2020, getting settled in the local church. You know, this is a unique generation. And this generation is quite mixed up. I want you to think about something just for a moment. You all grew up, most of you, where the hardware stores and the little local community, that's where you went for everything, the little mom pa store. Now those are all gone, and where you go? You're supposed to go to the shopping plazas, right? But what have we noticed has happened to the shopping plazas? Are they full? They're ghost towns, okay? They're all empty. The malls. People are now going to online shopping. And you notice there are cultural trends and things change. And the same thing has happened with the church, okay? Uh, the church, people got a little bit bored with traditional church, and so they went to the mega church, and big plaza, big, big, big lights, big show, and then people got a little disillusioned with that, and now online church. I mean, it's it continually changing, okay? Um, but it's all going to come back to one simple thing, and it always does in every culture. It comes back to, once again, house churches starting, 
small churches starting, it always reverts back to that way because that is God's original plan, uh, that there be small, local, New Testament churches. And by the way, when I speak of small, uh, I consider a church under 200 to be small, okay? Uh, that is a, a local New Testament church, okay? So uh, a thriving church doesn't have to be just five members, okay? It can be 100 members, 200 members, but when you get to be more than three or 400, you really don't know anybody, and it's hard to have relationships at the same level, and it's also hard to find space in your local town. Uh, haven't you noticed a big trend, a big change? Uh, those little church buildings... What happens to them? They get bought up and made into houses. Hmm. Even in our little town, within five miles of here, there are several uh, Catholic churches that have been bought up and are now people's homes, or as Presbyterian Church just sold for art studio. And uh, in, there's, a, there's another church not too far from here. It's now a dance hall. And so, look, church buildings, people are making them into something else. Why? Not because there's not enough people, my friend, but because it has lost its purpose, and uh, look, we need times for change, we need to be recognized that we need to be relevant, but at the same time, we need to recognize that there are the basics, and we need to stick with the basics, getting settled in the local church. We have a great dilemma with local churches today. People are struggling to find a good church where they can fit in. I know many people who drive over an hour to go to a church, to just try to find a church that they like. Um, I have traveled with my wife, we've traveled all over the country, I've traveled around the world, and everywhere I go, with a simple Google search, I have found a local church that I could fit into, okay? Within 15, 20 minutes of whatever place I was having a vacation, whatever place I was traveling, whatever place I was going, and worldwide traveling on missions trips, I found a local church in which I could, I'll tell you, people are just, we're just too picky, okay? That's the bottom line, okay? Too picky. And I have a friend who lived in... Houston, my wife has a friend who lives in Houston, Texas, and they said, well, you couldn't find a good church in Houston. In a city that big, there's not really, okay, um, too picky. And we live in a day where, uh, friend, I submit to you the main reason for choosing a church today is often, shall we say, selfish at best. Um, what, think of these reasons. These are, these are reasons that are given today for why and what we should look for in a church, all right? We need a church with a good kids program. I submit to you that is a temporary problem. That's a temporary problem. Um, a good kids program. Temporary problem. Those children are going to grow up. And how are they going to assimilate in the church? What's the plan? How are they going to get to know the adults in the church? What's the plan? We're just going to have a kids program. Now we're going to have a special cool youth group for them. And then what happens after that? They go right out the doors of the church because it was all about the show instead of them actually learning the Word of God. There's got to be a relationship there. So that's a question people often look for. I need a church with a youth group. There's a bigger issue. To teach my kids to talk to adults. That would be culture shock for many kids. Uh, I need a church with new music. Look, history has proved itself. Carnal music does not produce faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Carnal music does not produce faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Look, also, here's another one. I need a church that's Relevant. Well, that's a big one. Relevantism is dangerous because that should never be the priority. That should never be primary. Cultural trends should not be our guidepost for the worship of God. And I challenge you in this new year 
Jesus is the head of the church, it says in here. He is the head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He wants to be the leader, and it says that in all things he might have the preeminence. Could we have a good kids program, and could Jesus be center of it? Absolutely. Could we have a good teen group, and could Jesus be the center of it? Absolutely. Could we have good music with, could we even sometimes sing a, a song that was written in the 1990s instead of just the 1800s? Would that be okay? Yes, that would be okay, and we would not be violating scripture to do that. So, could we, could we change some things occasionally? Could we do new things occasionally? Of course. But my friend, um, the focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. He needs to be the preeminent one in the church. In this new year, I challenge you, I challenge each one of us, to be settled in the local church, to bloom where you're planted, to bloom where you're planted. Jesus is the head of the true church, and any biblical New Testament church will follow Christ. False churches can be identified because they have forsaken the truths of the gospel. The Bible clearly tells us there were local churches and they had various places to be. I would like you to join me in a few scriptures to, uh, to prove this point. First, right here during Colossians, just turn a few pages back to Acts and chapter 7, and you're going to see about a church that you might not know existed. Acts and chapter 7, verse 38. In the Old Testament, there was only one true church. Only one true church. The Bible teaches the principle of the local New Testament church. This church had millions of members. This church was, shall we say it, the first mega church. But they didn't have a kids program. They didn't have big tech. They didn't even have a youth group. They didn't even have handouts. They didn't even have a written copy of God's word that we know of at that time. And Moses was writing down the law for them. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. The church in the what? The wilderness. That'd be a pretty neat church. All the people of God, the Israelites, God called them, you know, they were in Egypt, in the land of bondage. They had gone there, and we learned three weeks ago, Joseph, the type of Christ, the picture of Christ who was to come. God had sent Joseph as a slave. Joseph rose up to the palace. Joseph, God used him to spare them from the famine, to provide for all of Egypt. Now Joseph's family comes, all of his 12 brothers, they all come. The whole family moves to Egypt. They live there, the Bible tells us, for 400 years. And God delivers them to the hand of Moses. They go out into the promised land. They go out through the Red Sea. The Bible says that in that sea, the chariots drowned. The, 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 the chariots were so engulfed in the water, the, the, uh, the chariots uh, were broken into pieces, and the horsemen drowned. Everything was gone. They, they died in the water. You say, how did God do that? He's God. Alright, that's how he did it. And, uh, and they go into the promised land, sadly though, they rejected God in the promised land. They doubted God, and God sent them in circles in the wilderness. And in that time in the wilderness, God met with them, even though they continued to forsake him, they continued to wander from him, God met with them, and there was one church. By the way, if you had an argument, a disagreement with Moses, remember what happened in Numbers chapter 12? Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, they got mad at Moses because of his wife. And they called him out. 
Remember, God turned Miriam, Miriam into a leper. And then, of course, the Lord prayed for her, most prayed for her, and she was healed. Do you think of that time they questioned that leadership? They struggled. The first church in the wilderness struggled with leadership problems. But you know what? They couldn't go divide up and go start another church. There was one church, all right? One church. And it was a mega church at that time period. All right, then they went, of course, into the promised land and God continued to guide them. You say, what is this? It's, uh, they had one purpose, to worship God. And it was, of course, a different type of worship. It was animal sacrifices picturing that Jesus would come. So the church in the wilderness. Um, the other nations worshipped in temples to false gods, but the Christians had one God, one divinely appointed leader. And by the way, today, I believe all these multiple denominations and all this mix-up is utter confusion, and uh, it is used of the devil, because people don't know the difference between uh, a Presbyterian and a Buddhist. I mean, really, they're just all confused. They're like, oh, we're just all the same. We're not all the same. And uh, there is great confusion today in America in the matter of church. So in the Old Testament, there was one true church, the church in the wilderness. If you move forward, the biblical model of church is so different from our Christian culture today. Trends, personalities, and most importantly, tradition guides our worship. And I say most importantly as a joke, okay? But that is truly what guides our worship today. Most importantly, tradition. Part of becoming a mature Christian is to question every tradition with the truth of God's word. Traditions. Jesus, did he worship the same way the Pharisees worshiped? They made void the commandments of God by their, what did he say? What did he say? Tradition. Okay? I love traditional worship, and we're going to have traditional worship. But my friend, if you just have traditional worship for the sake of having traditional worship, you miss the point. Let me ask you a question. Y'all are very educated. You seem like a very educated crowd today. Um, could, you, could you just help me out with something? Back when the Bible was written, over 2,000 years ago, you had the Bible, and God putting together the pieces, writing things, Christ, Christ appeared over 2,000 years ago. So the writing of the, the Bible, was this songbook in existence back then? Were any of these songs written back then? Okay. So... Now, we, we got that. Now, have you, have you ever tried to sing in Hebrew? You realize, now, I'm just going, this is going to burst our Baptist bubble, okay? How did Miriam worship God? What instrument did she use? Timbrel, okay? So she used a timbrel. She played those, how they, they had those cymbals that they played. Remember, David played cymbals? Okay, they had cymbals. Cool. Kind of different, right? What did David do in his worship of God? Did, did he stand like this when he sang? He danced. Uh oh, he must not have been fast. Um, he danced. I'm gonna make jokes, guys. Okay, gonna lighten it up a little bit. Okay, and we're not gonna start dancing in church. All right, I have, I have seen one time. I, I when I was a young person, I was about 21. I went to a messianic synagogue for a service uh, on like a Friday night. And they had twirlers dancing in the front. They were all very modestly dressed. It was quite an interesting thing. But I, I do think in the biblical model, you see Miriam. What did Miriam do in her worship? She danced. All right, everybody's like, uh-oh, what are we going to say? No, she danced. Hmm. Now, it wasn't this fleshly 
sinful dancing that you see today, okay? Um, I'm not for that. There's a reason why, for example, as Independent Baptist Church, over the years we have stood against uh, and we've encouraged our members to not be participating in dancing. Why? Because of because of the worldly connotations in this culture, it's often very fleshly, all right? And it's really accentuating the body, all right? Instead of, and it's not anything holy in many, many cases. Now, uh, when you look back into different time periods, there was a type of dancing that was... Uh, that was back in the 1800s a little bit more, it was it was more majestic and it was a little bit more wholesome. But you look at this change, all right, and we're not getting into all of that. I just wanted to stir the pot today with that, okay? Um, in the New Testament, you know, we're not having dancers next Sunday, right? I don't know where The problem is once you have a dancer, then it just, you have to be so careful it doesn't get out of hand. That's, that's why we don't. In the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, many house churches were formed that quickly grew into larger groups. And if you're, you're hearing Acts, just turn a few pages to Romans 16. It's right between where we're at, Colossians. Romans in chapter 16 and verse 5. Romans 16 and verse 5. And we, we hear of this couple, um, and I will start back in verse 3. Romans 16, 3 down through verse 5. Paul is sending out his greetings to these people, and he says that we should greet these folks in the church. He, he tells them to greet. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the, say the word out together, church. the church. That is in their what? House. Their house. Salute my well-beloved Apennantus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So they had a church in their house. You say, should we all go back to house churches? Um, persecution will create that problem. It will create that problem. But, uh, you say, how does that happen? Well, over in China... They have taken and burned down, destroyed, uh, taken bombs in, taken machine guns in, destroyed the church buildings. And so church is not a building. That's just the place where the larger group could assemble. So the people uh, had a plan already in place, and they just go back to house churches, one or two, three families together in each house, and they disperse. And what does that do? It actually creates multiplication because the Christians will then invite somebody else to be part of their assembly. The problem with that is, sadly, many of those who lead those house churches are very uneducated in the Word of God, and so the growth factor is very minimal in the church. Now, Priscilla and Aquila had a church in their house. They were also people who were very studious and learned the Word of God, and that helps for description. The reference to their house church, so important. They took the time to meet together. Now, we often in our culture today have house churches, but they're not started because people have a passion to uh, leave their local church and be blessed by the local pastor, blessed by the local leadership, and go out and start the house church. You know why they leave? Why do they start house churches today? Over division. Okay? Uh, somebody's got a petty issue over something that's not even biblical, and they'll get upset, and then they have a little house church, and often those do not last more than a few months, 
few years, and they dissolved. Why? Because it was not for the right reason. It was not a biblical house church. It was simply, we have an issue, we have a bone to pick, and so let's have our own group, and we're going to have a bone to pick together. And uh, it just falls apart. So, the plan of God, though, is that New Testament believers get excited, and they start local churches in their communities. That's why you see from church buildings all over the place, in every little town, all throughout America, people had a burden, people had a passion to start local New Testament churches. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, also in 1 Corinthians, is a reference to their church in their house in 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 19. If you would also see that, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. They had a church in their house, and this passage also reflects that. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. And notice in this passage how the churches are mentioned. It says, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And we don't do that today. Did y'all read that? Go. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some cultures, by the way, they greet you that way. A lot of Hispanic cultures are that way. Uh, you say, it, it, they just literally put their cheeks together, the base cheeks like this, and they just go like that. It's just a cultural way of greeting, and actually the men and women do it. It is quite strange, quite different. Of course, the young men seem to enjoy that type of uh, greeting uh, in the church, but um, uh, and the young ladies, I think, mostly. Uh, but... This was, of course, a type of greeting in the culture back in that day. Now today we have, um, well, we did have handshakes and hugs. Um, now they say, you know, the most sanitary way to get somebody a hug, just like digress for two seconds, all right, is to that little silly plastic thing. Can you imagine how many germs are contaminated in that thing? Stick your hand into this little plastic thing and somebody's supposedly sanitized. There's more of a chance of getting a germ from that than just hugging the person, all right? Uh, that, to me, is total foolishness, but anyway... I'm glad there's health experts that know more than I do uh, about such things. What an interesting way to greet. Okay, we will not have a plastic booth to give hugs in the church. I'm not going to do that. But that was what they, how they greeted with a holy kiss. But he speaks here of the church, the church that Aquila and Priscilla had in their home. In the New Testament, there were these little New Testament churches. And modern church growth has several unique aspects. Let me touch on them for a second and get right in where we're going this morning. They have several of these, these, these aspects that are quite unique. Vague names for churches. Think about it today. What are churches called? The cool name for a church is Cattles. The Oasis. City Life or City Point or New Star or North Point and the list goes on. Anything that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, just kind of a random, like, sounds like an amusement park, it sounds like a theme park, it sounds like Disney World. I mean, it really doesn't speak much of doctrine, it doesn't speak much of truth. It basically sounds like a rock band. Well, that's kind of what it is. Uh, it sounds like entertaining, uh, kind of what it is. And, and it's got a catchy name, because you have to have a catchy name to get people today, my friend. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with a church that necessarily maybe has that name and sticks true to the doctrine, but it is a trend that is leading away from Christ, okay? And that we're basically told today we've got to have a name like that in order for people to come to the church. Vague names, vague names, little meaning. Then also, primarily, these, these aspects of the new local New Testament church, uh, it's not New Testament church, local mega church, uh, primarily targeting Christians from all local churches. They got one target. Christians. 
Uh, find people that already know God, already know about God, but they just are upset with their little church, and target them. If you think the modern church movement is targeting the lost, then think again. The majority of members come from other small churches that are dying out. It's just like the malls. It's no different. By providing a new style, growth is achieved. Oh, it's a new style of worship. It's a new thing. Something different, but that newness will fade. And we must go to the basics. Often the holiness of God, the full gospel, is ignored. Jesus is so cheap. What you win people with, you must keep them with. Jesus is so cheap. If you pray this little prayer, or as you, uh, you could also, uh, you could also just have the pocket church. I, I heard about this. Joel Osteen's selling this at Walgreens now. Uh, if you want a cheap church, it's 40 bucks. You can buy Joel for 40. And uh, you take Joel, and it's got 365 daily inspirations. Guaranteed to not convict your soul. And uh, 52 sermons. More like inspirational pep talks from a motivational speaker with quoting the Bible. But Joel has that for sale. It's the cheap pastor. You can control him. You can mute him. You can shut him off. You can do whatever you want with him. It's, it's Joel and uh, false prophet. Okay? Uh, so you can, get, you can get that kind of pastor today. Uh, you can get Joel uh, to help you with all of your problems in life. Uh, and look, he's got a few good things to say every once in a while, too. But uh, it's, it's uh, motivation. Did you find it interesting? After this pandemic thing, he finally had to start assembling his megachurch because his online attendance went down, and he had to start reassembling in the building. Hmm. Local New Testament church seems to be the plan of God, meeting together in building. Uh, God wants us uh, to grow together as a church, and this morning, I want to encourage you to look for several things in the church, all right? We will be right here in 1 Corinthians. Turn a few more pages over. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're writing 1 Corinthians 16, turn over a few pages. 2 Corinthians 3 in verse 12. I want to encourage you to look for these things. We're talking this morning, we're speaking on this subject of getting settled in the local New Testament church. Jesus is the head of the church. So what should we look for in a church? And uh, one of these things is, is something that we are working on right now, and I'll, I'll give it to you at the end. First, this morning, what should we look for in a local New Testament church? We should go where we are challenged and convicted to change. Now, if you're taking notes today, I encourage you to write that down. Go where you are challenged and convicted to change. If I'm not challenged and I'm not convicted to change, then I'm not growing to be more like Jesus. Look in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look in verse 12. Seeing, then, that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses, which put on a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not look, look upon the end that they would, that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded until that day remained the same veil, untaken away, in the reading of the Old Testament, which is the veil is done away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, listen to this verse. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an open face, beholding the blackness and the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That word glass is obviously referring to a mirror. It was called a looking glass that people would have back in the day. 
And, and you're supposed to take that mirror, you're supposed to look into the mirror, and the mirror is the Word of God. That's why this year we're saying, look, would you take this book and would you read it each day, this little devotional book, a little challenge for your home, and would you make a goal to seek to read through this book uh, every year? Why, go where you're challenged and convicted. We're all, it says, as, a, as in a glass, beholding the glory of the Lord. It's not that we see how perfect somebody else is. It's that we see how perfect Jesus is and how we do not measure up to Jesus. And we need to change. We are changed into the same image. The image of who? Jesus Christ. From He says, from glory to glory. I want to grow this year. I don't know about you, but I want to grow. I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to grow nearer to Him. Therefore, verse... 12, uh, chapter 4 says, verse 1, Seeing we have received this ministry, uh, we, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's big right there, the conscience. What's missing in our nation? The conscience. What's missing in the church today? The conscience. He says, we've renounced, we've turned from the hidden things of dishonesty. He says, there's these certain things in our life that were dishonest. He said, we turn away from them. We're not going to walk in deceitfulness. We're not going to walk in craftiness. We're not going to try to figure our little way around. Delete a few records of information from November 3rd. Whatever it is. Uh, we're not going to try to do that. We're not going to have this type of a lifestyle of just uh, hiding and covering everything up. Uh, he says, not handling the word of God deceitfully. That means we use the Word of God not for our own benefit, but to grow, to become more like Jesus. Go where you're challenged and convicted to change. Uh, there was a guy, and uh, he moved to the area several years ago. And he lived about an hour away. He was looking for the perfect church. A friend of his contacted me and said, there's a guy looking for a perfect church. I told him, yeah, I'll come to yours. Interestingly, he didn't send it to his and he, brought, and he came to our church for just two Sundays. He was looking for the perfect church for his family. And you know what? Wouldn't you find it? We weren't the perfect church. I disappointed him. And uh, he came in and he was all, you know, listen, listen. And then he walked out. And uh, he said, by the way, he came from a church where he went three times a week. But uh, he said, you know, I'm going to be faithful to all, but he didn't come to the rest of the service. He only came once. And he, he came in. And then he walked out. And he just said, all right, have a good day. And he walked out. And then a couple hours later, you know what I got in, the, in my email? I got a note of encouragement. I mean, it was a regurgitation of the sermon and all the problems that it had. And, and it wasn't even, and I don't look, I, I want to be challenged, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that had to do with truth. It was semantics over salvation. It was like, well, the, the, this angle, the, the, it, it's like, friend, you know what? When we get to heaven, God's going to tell us that part, okay? I mean, really, I, I don't, give me a break, you know? And, and, and every, it was, that was the deal, you know. And I said, God bless you. Maybe you can find a perfect church somewhere else. Um, uh, we're not a perfect church. And uh, the next one won't be perfect either. So go where you're challenged. Go where you're convicted to change. Turns out the issue that he had was because his wife claimed to be a Christian but had denied the faith and walked away from the faith for many years. And he was upset about that. And he wanted me to teach a salvation that wouldn't make her feel convicted for having forsaken God and come back. That it was, it was really, it was a cover-up for a past life. And, and my friend, look, you've got to be challenged. Uh, you've got to be convicted to change and grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Go where you're challenged. Go where you're convicted. 
to change. I'm convicted and challenged every time I prepare a message. Secondly, go where there's a passion for souls. Matthew 28, 18 through 19, the Great Commission. Jesus said that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son. We are to disciple them in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So go where there is a passion for souls. You say, what do we want to see happen at Calvary Baptist Church? I would love to see this baptistry filled up later this year. If you'd like to see that, I would say amen. amen. And my friend, uh, you know, in the Bible times, they didn't even have baptistries. We kind of got it easy now. I kind of like to crack the ice on some lake and baptize somebody out there. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I might freeze to death, but uh, we might just do that just for fun. If you want to get baptized in the next few months, we might just do that just uh, so that we can. You say, why did we do it out there before? Look, this is a matter of convenience, having a baptistry. We even warm the thing up, okay? I mean, it's so creature comfort uh, easy. But uh, why, did we do, why did we do it out in the lake? Why did we do it in some public place? Hmm. Testimony to the lost. I've been born again. That testimony has been lost by our modern tradition. Because I'll tell you, I like the baptistry, but that is traditional, to have a baptistry in the church. And by the way, there's another church that does a little thing, you know, where they just sprinkle the babies. That's also a tradition. Just so happens that style and mode of baptism isn't even baptism because the word means to immerse. That's to put under the water, okay? Uh, so when you read in the Bible, there was never a baby sprinkled in the Bible. There was never an adult sprinkled in the Bible. They were always immersed. They always went down into the water. Uh, go where there's a passion for souls. Where you sow an emphasis, you will reap a harvest. Look, I love seeing visitors in the church. I, I hope you enjoy talking with visitors. Talking with them about, listen, the things they like to talk about. Would you say that with me? Talk with them about the things they like to talk about. All right, there you go. That's your word of wisdom for the day. Um, and by the way, last the other week when I said, you know what, we ought to encourage people. We ought to give one gift. What was the gift we ought to give people? The gift of what? The gift of what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. And don't tell them they need to forgive you. You go and give them the gift of forgiveness, and that'll come back. Give the gift of forgiveness. I, I ask you this, and, and understand me in a gracious way. Who's on your target list? Who's on your target list? I'm not talking about going to Target. I'm talking about souls you're going to pray for. People that you're convicted about, and you're asking God, they'll get saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who's on your target list? i got some people on my target list. Does that mean, does that, mean that, that I, I'm going to... I'm going to seek to, to pull them for some selfish reason. No, it's because I want everyone to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so, uh, you ought to have somebody on your target list. And you say, what does that mean? I pray for them, and I invite them. For one reason, because I want them to know Jesus Christ. And look, if God leads them to some other church after they come to ours, I don't care. They need to know Jesus Christ. That needs to be your attitude. It's not about them coming necessarily to be in your church. It's about them knowing Jesus Christ. And where there's a passion for souls, for no ulterior motive, God will be pleased. God will be honored. And thirdly, this is something that I think will be a help to us this year. Go where you can serve. You say 2020 did a, did a number on that. It did, right? I want you to look in Matthew 23. And we'll wrap the message up right here. Matthew 23. Uh, Matthew 23 and verse 11. 23 in verse 11. Go where you can serve. 
One thing that, it's even, it's a little creative thing that I do with my children, and look, we, by the way, are learning, God is helping us, we are learning with the kids, we have no, by no means, mastered it, okay? Um, when we master it, that's when we see Jesus in heaven, okay? Uh, but there's some, some little things that, that I like to do with our children. For example, um, it's Christmas, and so what does what every child like to have around this time of year? Cookies. All right? And so I like to get that cookie tin, and I like to bring it over on the couch and just eat a few cookies. Uh, it's that time of year. My wife likes to make some of my favorite kinds of cookies, and uh, there's several this time of year that are different, special for this season. And so I'll get that tin of cookies, but there's somebody that really likes cookies, don't you, Lucy? And Lucy will come up, and she'll go, cookie, cookie, cookie. And we try to turn it to teach the child a little something different. Now, look, I think a child ought to be able to enjoy cookies in this time of year. Maybe okay? let's help her out her teeth out. But I like to kind of turn it around, and so, uh, and this happened last night, there were three cookies left, and so I took one, Lucy had one, and Gwenny came up, and, and she snagged the last one, and then I said, I, now they want a bite of mine, and I was all, of course mine was all gone, but that can eat faster, and uh, I wanted them to be unselfish, so what I asked them to do, I asked them if I could have a bite, right? Can I have a bite? So we do the same thing with the ice cream. Uh, can daddy have some? And they like to serve daddy ice cream. All right, it's not about them learning to be slave. It's just learning that it's not all about me, okay? It's also about me trying to give a little bit back and trying to do something nice. And, and we, we try to teach them that even at a young age, just a little little trick, a little something we're trying, and it's working quite well with Lucy and Gwenny. Just, you know, hey, that's great. You can have cookies. Do daddy have a bite? Oh, here you go. And then they want to feed you one. They want to give you one. Um, we want that attitude of, I want to serve. I want to do something for somebody else. That's an attitude that needs to be developed at an early age. And as a Christian, that's an attitude that needs to be continued to be cultivated in our heart. Our heart, I want to serve. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Look back in verse 10. It says, Neither be ye called masters, for there is, one, there is one is your master, even Christ. But back to the thing, the whole beginning where we started. He is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the boss. He's the chief. He's the king. That's why I don't want anybody to call me reverend. Right? I don't want to be called reverend. And if somebody comes in here, sometimes we'll have a guest preacher and they'll go by a title of reverend. I'll just call him brother. I, I don't call people reverend. That name is to God alone. Right? That refers to the holy. Holy and reverend is his name, the Bible says. So, reverend refers to God. It's a name referring to God. And uh, uh, that is his title. He's the master. He's the king. But he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This may be, uh, may mean in this year serving in a new way. Now look, this year has been a total change for us in this because uh, all the serving capacities almost for some for some time kind of got wiped away. Uh, we have a lot of things where you can serve, maybe helping clean in the church, but they say uh, people that are 70 and above are more easily susceptible to this particular disease. And so that means that if you're somebody in that age category, I naturally, uh, pretty, pretty much everybody, actually, you know what, we're not going to, my wife and I are going to do the cleaning. Why? Because we don't want somebody that's at risk to do the cleaning right now. Why? Just because we're trying to be careful, okay? We didn't know at the beginning how things were going to go. We're just trying to be wise, trying to be careful. And uh, so that, that meant that we wound up taking those things. Uh, not because we wanted to, necessarily, but just because trying to be careful. 
and trying to take care of the flock and make sure nobody got sick because they were cleaning the church. Um, so, go where you can serve to say that serving is not as easy as to have dissipated. Uh, in some ways it has, but in this new year I'd like us to think about a few things. So, just a few thoughts, uh, things that to flash a few things by your mind to think and pray about. First, uh, if you have an interest in technology and design, if you're good at computers, there'll always be a place for you to serve in this generation. If you're interested in anything like that, let me know. Uh, also, something else. If you're creative with uh, coming up with new ideas for uh, events, for gifts, for fresh, fresh ideas are always great. And if you have an idea, uh, those are, that's great. You want to plan, help, help my wife plan the event? That would be fantastic. You have some, look, I like new ideas. God sends people with new ideas. If you've got a new idea, you've got a fresh idea, we want that idea, okay? Uh, you say, where else can I serve? Here's a new one for you. This is going to catch you by surprise. Serve by having your personal devotions. Amen. Serve to say, Pastor, I didn't get to serve this year. You serve by having your personal devotions in prayer. Wow. Say, I can serve a local church? Absolutely. If you will get in the Word, you will get in prayer, you can serve your local church just like that. Why don't you come in a little more thirsty for the word? Uh, that will do that. What else? How else can I serve? Invite my friends to church. If you don't have any friends, make them. So that's a way you can serve. That'll take time right there. Uh, what's another way you can serve in the new year? Landscaping and flowers. And if you're interested in helping with that, let me know. Uh, what's another way you can serve? In the summer, we have several weeks where there's any watering of the flowers. You want to help water? That's something you can serve with. Um, uh, now, now, something else you can serve. Uh, Brother Adler does such a fantastic job in the grass every year, but you could, you could help and you could be a friend to him. There's an extra lawnmower and you can come with him and, and go together with him, be a friend to him, and encourage him, maybe run a weed eater with him. And so those are that's an area in which you could serve. If you're interested in that, that's something you could help with. Um, you could run a second mower. Those are just ways in which you could serve about 12, 12 times a year as we mow the grass. And so something you could do there to be an encouragement to Brother Al, keep the young man young and uh, keep him energetic. And, and that'll be great. I know he enjoys friendship. And so if you want to do that, that would be great. And then uh, Vacation Bible School. Pray that we'll be able to have that this year. And, uh, you can help make props. You can help with decorations. And also you could help find children to invite. So these are things, look, if we don't do a vacation Bible school, we're going to do back there about Bible So these are all things that you can help with. Another thing that you can help with, and I didn't have it on my list right here, but this, this year we're going to do something different. We're not going to do a missions conference. We're going to do mission Sundays. And so we're going to do about a month of mission Sundays. We're going to have a missionary on each Sunday. We're going to. And, and uh, if we, when we do that, you can say, you can, you can take a Sunday, you can say, you know what, I'm going to prepare a gift basket to have ready for that family to welcome them to church, nice things, and, and uh, want to maybe organize, make a little list of some things to put in that basket, some little things for that family, to be a blessing and to welcome them as they come and stay here in the prophet's chamber. So just something to think about. You can be a part of any of these things coming up in the new year, and there's many ways to get plugged in, to get involved in the local New Testament church. Go where you're challenged, go where there's a passion for souls, and go where you can serve. May God help us with this in the new year. My friend, let us close in prayer this morning. Let's stand together. Encourage as the piano. My wife comes to the piano right now. I encourage you to take a moment to reflect. Lord, how can I serve? Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, help me to be plugged in. Lord, help me to be a part of the local New Testament church. We live in such a day where there's uh, allegiance to everything, uh, kind of a, a mixed, no commitment, maybe just kind of uh, no contract. And let's let's be committed. Find a place where we can be committed and ask God to help us with that in the new year.
And you just ask the Lord during this time, Lord, would you help me to know what you want me to do, where you want me to go, how you want me to serve, help me to get involved, and that God wants to use you in a greater way in this new year. As we stand for prayer and as our heads are bowed, would you just take a moment right where you're at, and maybe as a Christian you'll pray like I just guided you, but maybe you're here and you just don't know Jesus, and, and, and you say, you know what, friend, I'm not going to I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, anyone, anyone in the room, but if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you've never called upon His name, you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins. You say, how do I do that? What do I do? Do I have to clean up all of my life right now? No, Jesus will do that when you invite Him into your life. My friend, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, you simply need to understand and believe the gospel. It's by faith. You believe Jesus died for you, was buried, and rose again. But God commended, He showed His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 5 8. And you have to believe that He died for your sins, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, uh, Romans, Romans 3 9, that He died for all of the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you never trusted in Christ, He is the gift of eternal life. And today, you can call upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You may come to the Father, but by me. If you've never called upon the Father, my friend, today you need to call upon him. Today you need to invite him into your life, and I'll be available afterwards. I'll be always available to answer any spiritual questions you may have. Your soul searching for God. You hear from that. I'm going to encourage you to seek me out afterwards. If God's speaking to your heart, you call me up during the week. My number's right here on the tracks and everything. You call, you reach out. If you don't want to talk in person in the building, you call, we'll set up coffee, we'll meet up, whatever. I want to talk with you about your soul. Let's right now take a moment as the piano plays to do business with the Lord. Lord, would you quiet our hearts? Would you help us to respond to you in this moment to recommit ourselves to you? As the piano plays, would you recommit yourself to Jesus? Would you ask the Lord to help you in your life? Ask the Lord to lead you, what church, where, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to serve. And then would you ask the Lord to help you commit, commit to the local New Testament church. Ask the Lord to help you to put truth over tradition. Have a wonderful rest of the day.